people. The Bible says it was just, there were 5,000 men there, so we don't know how many women and how many children. So this could have been 15, 20,000 people, maybe more. And he did it with five loaves and two fish. And then, just in the next few verses, we read of Jesus' amazing power over nature, over the weather, as Jesus, during the midst of an awful, powerful storm on the Sea of Galilee, the Bible says Jesus walked out on the water, and he walked to his disciples who were there in the boat. They were afraid. They looked at the storm around them. They thought they were going to sink. They were going to die. And Jesus comes, and he calms the storm. And he doesn't just calm the storm. The Bible says that as soon as he got in the boat, they were immediately at the place where they were planning to go. And then, right after this, there's this discourse for the remaining part of John chapter 6. And as I've been studying this, in some ways, there's some challenges, I think, for us to understand this. In fact, the people that Jesus was speaking to here at the end of John chapter 6, they struggled to understand what Jesus was saying. So it is with a little bit of trepidation I approach this passage of Scripture this morning because I don't want us to go from here this morning, as some of those people did that day, confused and not understanding what Jesus said. Now, they were not confused and misunderstanding what Jesus said because Jesus was confusing, okay? They misunderstood what Jesus said because they wanted him to be saying something else. Isn't that true about us sometimes when we have a sort of a presupposition about the way things should be? and they don't work out that way, we have a hard time understanding it. But that didn't work out according to my plan. Wait a minute. Whose plan are we supposed to be functioning under anyway? And see, as Jesus spoke to these people, they didn't like some of the things that he said. They misunderstood some of the things that he said. They, in fact, when we get to the end of the chapter, we'll see that many of these people, and up to this point there's thousands following Jesus, and many of these people leave him. See, the problem was this. The Jews at this point in time, they were an oppressed people, right? They, they were in bondage to the Romans. The Romans lorded over them. They had to pay tribute to the Romans. The Romans ran the government. The Romans were in charge, and the Jews didn't like that, just like we wouldn't like it, right, if some foreign power was in charge of our government here. And when Jesus came and he took five loaves and two fish and he fed thousands of people, the people looked at him and said, this guy would make a great king. And they wanted him to be their king. I mean, wouldn't it be great in our day and age if the government took care of all of our needs? Oh, wait, some people are kind of thinking that they should, don't they? Wouldn't it be great if, if you didn't have to work and you didn't have to apply yourself and, and there was just no problems in your life because the government took care of everything, paid all your bills? Well, that'd be nice. Wouldn't it be nice if the government just took care of all of your health needs, right? And I understand there are struggles and there are problems and there are difficulties and we want to help people. But see, that's what these people were looking for. They were looking for a king that would meet all their needs and take care of all their physical problems. But when Jesus spoke to these people here in John chapter 6, he was telling them who he really was and what he really came to do. And it was different than what they wanted him to do. 
And because it was different, and because they didn't like what his plan was, many turned and went a different direction. So as we go through this this morning, I want you to listen with open hearts and an open mind to what God has to say. Because when we come to God's word with our presuppositions about what we think God should be doing, we are in the wrong place. The Bible teaches us that we must humble ourselves before the Lord. To humble yourself means to put yourself in a place of service to another, right? To come in lower than somebody else and to allow that other individual or person or entity to dictate to you what should be done and how it should be done. And because God is our creator, because God is sovereign, because God is ruler of all, this morning as we come to this passage of scripture, as it can be a difficult passage, we need to humble ourselves to what God has to say to each one of us. And so I hope this morning as we look at John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22 this morning, that you'll have a humble spirit. Because Jesus may say some things to you that you don't like. He may say some things to you that are different than what you would expect him to say to you. But if it's different, if you don't like it, let's put aside our own feelings long enough to say, what does God want to say to me this morning? Because folks, it is a privilege that God speaks to us. He doesn't have to. He does it because he loves us. And in his word, he's going to speak to us this morning. So let's listen as he speaks to us this morning. I want to just read to you one verse, rather than go through the whole passage that Freddie just read. I'm going to read you one verse, and then we're going to go back and look at this passage together. Jesus said in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, why was this such a powerful statement, so important and so perfect of a statement for this period of time? Well, as I've already said, Jesus had just fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread, right? And two fish. Now, I love good bread, don't you? I mean, there's nothing better than going over to Grandma's house and smelling those fresh cinnamon rolls in the oven. Hopefully, I don't get you too hungry this morning. I know it's a little bit till lunch, okay? Maybe you got a donut on your way in this morning. It's not the same as Grandma's cinnamon rolls, though. It's not. But I love those cinnamon rolls, and Grandma knows that I love those cinnamon rolls. In fact, when I go visit Grandma, she'll often make me my own pan of cinnamon rolls to eat, and I just love that. And usually, because she's Grandma, she'll make lots extra, even more than I need, and I'll get to take some home with me, too, because that's just how Grandmas are a lot of the time, aren't they? And so, I love that good bread. I love how it tastes. You know, people have said, you are what you eat. So you're looking at a big cinnamon roll this morning. I mean, <laughs> plus a little bit of other things, right? But I've got a little of Grandma's cinnamon roll with me. And uh, not from recently, but it's been a little while since I've had one. But I, I made up a little bit of cinnamon roll this morning, right? We are, when we put something into us, it, it becomes part of us. And so Jesus here is speaking about being the bread of life. As we get into this this morning, by way of introduction, I want to give you a few things that are true about people, some true things that we know about people from this passage. I think one truth that we know about people is that 
more people carry about, care, I'm sorry, care about their body and their life more than they care about their soul and their eternal life. They care more about their physical body than they do about their spiritual body. We read in, in this passage as these people, they were trying to find Jesus. Remember, Jesus has fed them with the loaves and fishes. Then Jesus sends them away. He goes and meets his disciples on the Sea of Galilee in the storm. But the people are still trying to find Jesus. They want to get some more of that bread. They want to be around the man that could meet all of their physical Needs And so the Bible says, like in verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. These people are looking for Jesus because they wanted their physical needs to be met. And folks, if we're honest this morning, I think a lot of us live there, don't we? I'm concerned about my physical needs. When you're in pain, you want that pain taken away. When you're hungry, you want to eat. When you're thirsty, you want to drink. And I think many of us would much more quickly miss out on spiritual food than we would on physical food. Right? We, we don't go very long missing a physical meal, but sometimes in our spiritual life, we can go days, weeks, months, sometimes years without any spiritual food. Because we value our physical body more than we value the spiritual part of us that God says in all of us. And yet, the Bible is very clear. Our physical body will die. But our spiritual soul is going to live forever. It's going to be somewhere forever. Either in heaven with God or in hell separated from God for eternity. But more people, or most people, probably care more about their physical body than they do about their spiritual body. Think about it. Did you prepare your soul to come to church this morning as much as you prepared your physical body? I mean, all of you got up. Obviously, you're here. You got dressed this morning. It doesn't look like anybody's in their pajamas. Maybe you slept in that, but it doesn't look like it. You look pretty clean-pressed and well put together this morning. Probably a lot of you showered this morning. Some of you maybe last night. You brushed your teeth. You got ready. Many of you ate breakfast before you came. We spend a lot of time on our physical body, don't we? And we should take care of it. The Bible tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't teach us to not take care of our physical body. It's a gift from God, and we ought to steward it and take care of it. But we spend so much time taking care of the physical, and we forget about the spiritual. See, these people were looking wherever they could because they wanted their physical needs met. But Jesus, through this passage, he turns it on its head, and he begins to talk to them about their spiritual need, and they don't like it at all. Meet physical needs, people love it. Right? We, we give away food, people want to take it. We, we have cinnamon rolls and Shipley's donuts on Sunday mornings. You're, you'll be here to eat those, right? But when people start having to be challenged about their spiritual problems, some people don't like that. And some people turn away from that. And see, there are a lot of people focused just on physical needs. I mean, you think about it. Why doesn't everybody follow Jesus? Well, because a lot of people don't want to deal with their, 
spiritual problems. Because to deal with a spiritual problem means to admit that we're wrong. And we don't like admitting that we're wrong. I think another thing we can see from this passage that's true about many people, most people, most people are bandwagon fans, aren't they? People go along with what everybody else is doing. Right? Lots of people are following Jesus, so everybody followed Jesus. But you get to the end of John chapter 6, all of a sudden not many people are following Jesus anymore. They leave quickly. Is that where we're at in our lives? We just come after whatever the new exciting thing is and do that? We follow after something that has the biggest show or the biggest production value? Or are we following after Jesus? I think something else we can see about Jesus or about people specifically These people already had enough evidence to believe in Jesus. Many people already have enough evidence to believe that Jesus is God, and yet they choose to reject it anyway. As you read through this passage of Scripture that Freddie just read, when you get to the next few verses, they begin to ask Jesus, show us a sign. Wait a minute. Didn't he just feed all of you with five loaves and two fish? Show us a sign. We just can't believe it yet. We need a little more proof. Wait a minute, if you notice the verse I just read in verse 22 and 23, the Bible says they were looking for Jesus, they had seen the disciples go out in a boat, and there were no other boats missing. And they couldn't figure out how Jesus got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're like, we know he didn't get in the boat with the disciples, and they're partially correct. He didn't get in the boat until the disciples were already halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Because he walked on the water. That that wasn't enough evidence for some of them. We need more proof. Why? Because when we have no faith, right, all we want is proof, proof, proof. But God gives us the proof that we need. And I believe most people today have the evidence that God is who he is. The Bible tells us all we have to do is look at creation to see that God is God. The heavens declare the glories of God. And yet we miss it. Well, I don't know. I just, why? Because we're looking at our circumstances. We're looking at our situation. Say, yeah, I know he may have done all that for those people. He may have done this. He he may have that ability, that power. But I still have a problem. And I want my physical need met. Or else I'm not going to believe. And until God does what I want him to do, I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. And that is a backwards way of thinking. Because that's saying, I, 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 right? I'm the, I'm the king. I'm the one that's important. God needs to serve me. Folks, I'm so thankful that God has served us through sending his son, Jesus Christ. But God doesn't have to serve you. God doesn't have to serve me. He's God. And until we understand that He's high and lifted up and He's holy and He's above all things. We're going to have a hard time understanding God and following after God. So we see these three things about people, that people care about their physical more than the spiritual. People often just follow along with what the exciting thing of the day is and that people... While they often have enough evidence, they choose to reject the evidence that they have, asking instead for more evidence. But Jesus here, he makes, there are several different statements about who Jesus is, 
And he culminates with the idea that he is the bread of life. And so that's where I want us to focus our time this morning. As they're speaking to Jesus in verse number 25, they call Jesus by a name. It says, when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? They called Jesus Rabbi. Do you know what Rabbi means? It means teacher. If you come into your class and you say, teacher, can you teach us, right? Then if you're coming as a student to the teacher, what do you need to do? You need to listen to what the teacher has to say. But what's interesting is, these people, they call him teacher. Jesus begins to teach, and then they reject his teaching and go away. Now, folks, if you want to learn something, you have to listen to what the teacher has to say. And when you come in, and listen, I've been as guilty of this as anybody else. But when you come into the class, okay, I'll listen to the teacher. Ah, wait a minute, I don't like that. Wait a minute, you're the student. Listen to the teacher. I'll listen a little bit. Ah, that, that just doesn't make me feel very good. Well, it doesn't make me feel very good either when teachers assign homework and, you know, when I, there's a test coming up and when I actually have to study and work and read and apply myself. That doesn't always feel very good, does it, students? But the reality is this morning, we're all God's students. And if these people, they were coming to him, calling him teacher, but then they didn't want to listen to his teaching. They didn't want to respond to what he said. Instead, when he taught, they left and went the other way. This morning, we need to have an attitude of humility. Say, Rabbi, teacher, teach us. And I hope you understand I'm not your rabbi this morning. God is. It's just my job to declare what God has already said. So it is my desire, if you will, to teach, but only to teach you what God has already said. These aren't my teachings. This is not the church of will. This is, the, this is God's church. And so we want to hear what God has to say. These people, they called him rabbi, but they didn't want to listen to what he had to say. Jesus, even speaking about himself, said at the end of verse 27, he said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. See, these people were asking for food. They were asking for physical bread. And Jesus told them, he says, back in verse 26, he says, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Think about this. This is, the Bible tells us here at the beginning of John chapter 6, this was the time of the Passover. Now at the Passover time, where were all the Jews supposed to go? To Jerusalem. So all these people are traveling to Jerusalem, but many of them got off the path to Jerusalem and began to follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was going to give them bread, or so they thought. 
And so they're laboring. They're working. I mean, they come to one place. They can't find him. They get on a boat, and they travel across the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're walking around. I mean, this is a lot of effort. This is on foot, right? Or in a boat with sails and row, uh, you know, a rowboat type of, type of vessels. They travel across there. They are laboring hard to get physical food. And Jesus tells them, don't labor for the bread that perishes. Don't go after the physical food. Instead, labor for, reach for the spiritual food food. See, we'll work really hard for physical food, won't we? I mean, we'll sweat, and we'll work, and we'll spend time and effort, and ladies work so hard many times cooking for us men sometimes, and men, we had some men yesterday sweating and working hard to provide physical food for us. We'll work really hard for physical food, but sometimes the spiritual food, we won't put any effort at all into that. And these folks, they were laboring for physical food and forgetting about the spiritual. But Jesus says about himself at the end of verse 27, he says, For him hath God the Father sealed. He said, I have spiritual food to give to you. And the reason I have spiritual food is because God the Father has put his stamp of approval upon me. I have been sealed by God the Father, set apart and said, This is is somebody from God. Jesus had come from God, right? You say, really? Yes. We just go right back to John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus had been sealed by the Father. Jesus, though, as we keep reading in this passage, there are some other things he calls himself. Verse 53, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now this is, folks, why it's so important to study God's word. Because you might read that verse, verse 53, about Jesus calling himself the Son of Man and just pass right over it. But see, to the Jewish mind who was listening in that day, for Jesus to call himself the Son of Man was very significant. You say, why? What does that mean? Well, if you have your Bible, turn back to the Old Testament, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Now remember, the Jews, especially the Jewish authorities, they would have studied the Old Testament and studied the Old Testament prophets. They would have known what these Old Testament prophets said. And Daniel made a very important prophecy about somebody who would come in the future. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. The Bible says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like, what's he say? The Son of Man. One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So what does this Son of Man do? Look at verse 14. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus steps out and He says, I'm the Son of Man. Wow, those people listened up. They paid attention. He's claiming to be the one that Daniel prophesied about. The one that would come and rule and reign and set up his kingdom 
Folks, oppressed people are looking for a deliverer. People that are in bondage are looking for hope and help. And Jesus has just made a claim that he is the son of man, the one promised from the book of Daniel. Wow, that's a strong statement. That's a big claim that Jesus makes. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. But Jesus also calls himself the Bread of Life. We read the verse already, but it's mentioned several times. Jesus calls himself first the bread of life in John 6, verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. This is significant because, again, in the Old Testament, God referred to himself there at Moses, with Moses at the burning bush. He referred to himself as the God whose name was I am. Jehovah God, Yahweh. And that meant God always has been, God is, and God always will be. So now when Jesus is claiming to be the I am God, this is a powerful statement. And you know, this is the first of seven statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. He says here in John 6 that he is the bread of life. In John chapter 8 and in John chapter 9, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. He's the door that the sheep come in and out of, right? John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 1, he said, I am the vine. Jesus makes these seven claims, these I am statements, that all deal with different aspects of who God is and what God does for us. And I'm so excited to be able to study through these over the coming weeks. But this is the first one. I am the bread of life. And not all times, because you read some of these like resurrection and life, but many times he uses physical illustrations to explain spiritual ideas. Right? I'm the bread. I am the door. I am the vine. All these different things. And today, he's saying, I am the bread of life. What does bread do for you? Well, it nourishes you, right? It helps to extend your life. I mean, if you don't eat, you won't have life. Now, some of us, if we have too much bread, it'll extend us in other ways. But food is necessary for life, right? Jesus is saying, though, we need more than just physical bread. We need the bread of life. So what is the bread of life? Jesus said he is. But what does that mean? See, 
As we continue to go through this passage, Jesus is talking to these people. He's telling them he's the bread of life. He's telling them to eat of him and drink of him. And if they would do this, they would never hunger. They would never thirst. Again, remember, they're listening, but they don't like what he's saying because he's not agreeing to be king, right? And so when Jesus is saying, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, they start, what's this guy talking about? We don't like it. We don't like it. Jesus, why don't you just let us make you king? That's what we want. But that's not what God wanted. Because Jesus didn't need them to make him king. Jesus already was king. And Jesus hadn't come to set up his earthly kingdom. Jesus had come to bring salvation to the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Not to rule in a public way in the world, but instead to rule in the hearts of mankind. And Jesus says, I'm the bread. And they complained and grumbled, the Bible says. You look at verse number, I think it's 40 here. Verse number 41. Then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now, why were they murmuring and complaining? Because Jesus wasn't the kind of bread that they wanted. Right? I mean, we do this sometimes at home, don't we? Or at least we did when we were little. Mom would make a wonderful meal. And we'd come and go, I don't like that. What's wrong with you? It's good food. It's gross. I tell my kids when, if they say that. And the older ones don't really say it anymore. I think they've learned. Food is not gross unless it's rotten, okay? You may not like it, but that doesn't make it gross, right? Thank you, mother. Got one amen. That's good. (laughs) But Jesus comes and he offers them bread, but it's not the bread that they want to eat, and they complain about it. Now, here's something you should write down. Complaining is not a spiritual gift, okay? Grumbling is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> and, but that's how these people responded to Jesus. They murmured, they complained. Reminds you of the Jews in the, in the Old Testament, doesn't it? But before we're too hard on the Jews, it's the way we are. It's the way all of us are. Well, that's not what I wanted. That's not how I wanted it. It's not working out according to my plan and my ability. I don't like it because I want this. Folks, you don't know what you need. I don't know what I need other than I know I need Jesus. I need Him. These people, they grumbled, they complained, they murmured against Him. Some people, I think they think their ministry is a ministry of complaining at times, right? We grumble at the provision of God. When God provides... Why do we complain? Well, because it's not how I wanted him to provide. But God provides what you need, he says. He gives us everything we need. These Jews were offended that Jesus said that he came down from heaven. Why? Because when he's saying he came down from heaven, that means he's claiming to be God. And if he's God, they had to listen to him. It's interesting, you see there in verse 42, they say about him, and they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Right? We know this guy. He grew up over here in the carpenter's shop in in Nazareth. He came down from heaven. What's he talking about? 
These folks were so familiar with Jesus, right? They knew him. They knew where he came from. They knew his background. Probably some of them knew that, oh, I know his mom and dad, yeah. That they missed out on who he really was. I believe, folks, that this same thing can happen to us today, that we can become so familiar with God and the idea, our idea of God and Jesus and who he is and who we've made him out to be, that we miss out on who he really is. Church becomes something that, ah, yeah, I know what that is. It's just another thing I got to do. Got to get the family together. We got to go to church. And yeah, I got to read my Bible. I got to go through that. And that's an important thing to do. And yeah, you know, we acknowledge God and we pray before we eat. And, you know, Christianity and following God and looking to Christ just kind of becomes another run-of-the-mill thing. And we look at Jesus as, yeah, he's just this guy. And, you know, he's helped us out and he died for our sin. You know, we just, he kind of becomes mundane to us. If we ever lose our amazement at who Jesus is and we lose our focus on what he's done for us, we very quickly fall into the same trap of these people just grumbling and complaining. Why is my life not any better? What is God doing now? Why doesn't he just fix all my problems? This world is a mess. What's going on? If God was really powerful, why wouldn't he do something different? It's because we think we know what God's going to do, and we think we know what God should do, and we think we know better than God. We become so familiar with God, I think even as a nation, right? We become so familiar with God, it's just, it's a name people throw out, it's a curse word people use, it's, a, it's just something that, you know, there's churches everywhere, and eh, just another thing, that he's now become so unimportant to us. It becomes so familiar that now it doesn't matter at all. And folks, we've got to get back to understanding who Jesus is and listening with a humble heart. Not assuming, look at us. Boy, we think we're something sometimes. Well, I'm an American. That's wonderful. But it doesn't make you more special with God because you're an American. You may not be an American. That's okay. Because you're an American doesn't make you spiritually superior to anybody else. It doesn't make you any better than anybody else. It means you have some rights and privileges as an American. Those are wonderful things. We're thankful for those things. I think we should thank God for those things. We should continue to stand up for the rights that God has given us and all those things. But sometimes we, being American is more important to us than being a follower of Christ. See, these people, they're grumbling and complaining. They're saying, this guy, he says he comes down from heaven. We knew where he grew up, right? Those preachers, they say a lot of stuff. I know the Bible says a lot of things, but come on, we grew up with that stuff. It didn't make any difference for us back then, and it won't make any difference for us now, right? It's just flippant. We pass by it, and we don't care about it. These people grumbled and complained. They were offended that he came down from heaven. So what is this bread of life? Jesus over and over says, eat my, eat my body, drink my blood. Jesus is using a physical illustration to explain a spiritual truth. When we take physical food into us, it becomes part of us. It helps us grow and to develop and to maintain our strength. When we put our faith in Christ, he lives in us and we now live with Christ, right? We take the bread of life into us, and now we have the life that that bread gives. Well, what kind of life is this bread give? This passage teaches us, first of all, that the bread of life, it refers to an eternal 
life. It says it in verse 27, verse 40, verse 47, verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. These people said, well, our fathers in the Old Testament, they ate manna. That was bread that came down from heaven. Right? And Jesus says, yes. They ate of that bread and they still died. See, Jesus isn't referring to your physical life here. He's referring to spiritual life. You take the bread of life, your body will still most likely die. But spiritually, you'll live forever. It's eternal Life. The bread of life gives eternal life. It's an eternal life that it gives. Secondly, the bread of life is a heavenly life. It is life that comes down from God in heaven. Verse 32 and 33, he says, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. This is a heavenly bread. It's something that came down from God that gives us eternal life. Yes, the bread that Moses gave, and Jesus reminds them, Moses didn't really give it to you. It was God that gave you that bread too. But that bread that came down from heaven, that was physical bread. It doesn't give eternal life. Something else Jesus tells us about this bread, that the bread of life is a satisfying bread or a satisfying life. Verse 35 says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Never is a really big, important word, isn't it? I mean, I mean that's, that's wiping out any possibility of anything else. He says, you'll never hunger, and you'll never thirst. Spiritually, folks, how many of us, if we were honest, would have to say, I've got some spiritual hunger, though. I've got some spiritual thirst. I've got some emptiness spiritually in my life. He says, if you'll eat of my bread, you'll never hunger and never thirst. It is a satisfying bread. See, most of you ate donuts this morning. You'll go home. You'll eat lunch again. The donuts didn't satisfy You got a drink of coffee this morning or had some water, some juice. So you got to have to have another drink of coffee, right? Just doesn't satisfy. You slept last night. You're ready to sleep again right now, probably. (laughs) Hope this guy gets done so we can get our nap. You're ready to sleep. I'm ready to sleep. It doesn't satisfy. But the bread of life satisfies. But I think our problem is we don't really partake of that bread. When you take the bread of life, you're satisfied. So when the world is falling down around you, when you're physically hungry, you're physically tired, when you're broken, when you're in pain, inside you still have peace. You're satisfied because you know you're safe with God. You know you're right with Him. And this life, this old life, it's a, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time and it vanishes away. And it's going to go away and all the trouble's with it. But I'm at peace with God. I'm satisfied with Him. God is enough. He's more than enough. 
And yes, you might be physically hungry this morning. You may have a stack of bills sitting on your counter at home and you're praying over those every night and I don't know how we're going to pay these. But spiritually, you can be at peace with God because He satisfies. But we're so often like those disciples in the midst of the storm, aren't we? We're looking at the storm around us. We're looking at the bills on the table. We're looking, at the, we're looking at our own bodies and the physical pain that we're going through, our loved ones going through, or something just happened. And we take our eyes off the Lord and we look at everything else and we're sinking right into our circumstances. The bread of life satisfies. The bread of life is an eternal life. The bread of life is, gives heavenly life. The bread of life is satisfying life. The bread of life is resurrection life. Jesus says in verse number 40, And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. And you say, I feel like I'm about to die, or my loved one's about to die. What does Jesus say about that everlasting life? He says right here, And I will raise Him up at the last day. The bread of life gives resurrecting life. Physically, you may die. People throughout history have gone to places and shared the gospel and have lost their life for the cause of Christ. You say, what? I thought he gave everlasting life. He says, I'm going to raise him up on the last day. That's why people say, I can give my life to Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why can I do that? Because this life is going to pass. But if I have the bread of life, it's a resurrecting life. And so if your life is spent up and used up and given out in the service of the Lord... I'm going to rise again someday. That's why you can go help people that maybe aren't very lovely people. That's why people choose to go to dangerous places and share the gospel. Because they have a resurrecting life. And it gives them a lot of confidence and boldness to go do what God calls them to do. We've had missionaries come in and share what God is doing and where God is sending them. I loved it, our missions conferences. Brother Ron White was sharing with us about going to Japan and spending 50 years of his life now serving the Lord in Japan. You say, how could he do that? He left his family, left his home, left his friends. His wife has now been gone for over 15 years and he's still serving the Lord. Why? Because he understands he has the bread of life. He's satisfied. And he knows he's going to it's resurrecting life. He's going to come back someday. See, a lot of us sit in fear, huddled up in our own little place, not want to go anywhere, do anything, get out, serve the Lord because we're afraid of what somebody might say or what somebody might do. And we're curled up in a little ball, afraid to serve God, afraid to obey God and do that because what might happen? I could lose my life. Lose it for Christ. Because if you lose your life for Christ, He's still going to bring you back. Give your life to Christ. Following Him, understanding what the bread of life is, gives you confidence. 
Wouldn't you love it if you could eat breakfast in the morning and you say, I've got enough food now, I can go all week. It'd feel good, wouldn't it? You'd be ready to go out and do things and work. I don't have to worry about going to the store. I don't have to worry about cooking. I don't have to worry about washing dishes. Amen, right? (laughs) I can go because I've got enough. And Jesus says, I'll give you the bread of life. It's satisfying bread. But you got to take it and eat of it. See, to take the bread of life means acknowledging that your way isn't good enough. That you're not smart enough. That you can't figure it out on your own. That you need Jesus. Humbling yourself. The bread of life is a satisfying life. It's a resurrection, resurrecting life. And finally, Jesus says in verse 48, speaking about the bread of life, He says, I am that bread of life. The bread of life is found in a person. It's not found in anything else. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Folks, you can give all your money and still be unsatisfied. You can give all of your time and still be unsatisfied. You can be a really nice person and still be unsatisfied. You can go to church every single Sunday. You could go to even the night service, and you could go to prayer meeting, and you could go to the men's prayer breakfast and the ladies' event (laughs) and still be unsatisfied. I think Billy actually did that. I'm not sure. (laughs) He was here helping. But that's not what satisfies you. And if you're hungry this morning for spiritual help, you can only get that in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. And the great thing about this bread, this bread that's found in a person, this bread that comes from Jesus, Jesus says it this way. He tells us in the Bible in John 5, 1 John 5, 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. This bread is a free gift. This bread is available to all if they will take it. Jesus says in verse number 65 that He is the Son of God, therefore, that no man can come unto me except it were given to him of my Father. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. He calls God his Father. And see, folks, when Jesus tells us this, this helps us to understand how available this bread is for us. This bread is available to all. Jesus says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you want this bread, you can have it. If you'll come to Jesus. But don't come to Jesus saying, well, God, I'll follow you if you meet all my physical needs and you put $100,000 in my bank and pay off all my bills and make me feel good. That's not what God wants. God wants you to follow Him because you're willing to do it His way. Believe on Him who He is and what He says and what He does and where He's going. Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the Son of God, He offers salvation to all. Jesus desires a relationship with all of us. Every religion in this world 
teaches that to have a relationship with God, it's by working. That's what these people thought they could have. They were laboring for this bread. They were laboring to get close. And Jesus says, don't labor for the bread. If you want to do the works of God, believe on me. You can't do enough to get this bread. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Some say, well, if I do enough good things, that'll outweigh the bad things that I've done. You can't work enough to earn it. Some say, well, just join our church and then you can pay God back. No, that's not how it works. Some say, give enough money to God and you'll pay off all the bad things. Cover up all your sins. That's not how it works. Is your relationship with God based on works? Is it? Yes or no? Well, it's a kind of a trick question because it's not based on your works. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ, right? So the correct answer, no, it's not based on my works. But yes, it is based on the works of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Do you have a relationship with God that's based on the work of Jesus Christ? Or is your relationship with God based on your work? Well, I've been a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not a bad guy. Your relationship with God must be based on what Jesus Christ has done for you See, we're saved not by our works. But the Bible does tell us we are saved to work. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say this, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're not saved because of your works. You're saved to do good works. Follow God. Jesus is saying, trust in me. Believe in me. Jesus desires to have this relationship with us. I think there's three things that a relationship with God gives us. A relationship with Jesus Christ. The three things that we get through a relationship with Jesus Christ. First of all, salvation. Our sin is forgiven. We can have eternal life. But secondly, we've already seen it. Satisfaction. We're fulfilled. We now have purpose. We're satisfied. Maybe you don't feel very satisfied this morning. Let me ask you, what are you feeding your soul with? If you're not satisfied, perhaps you're feeding your soul with the wrong thing. You're finding your confidence in something that doesn't bring satisfaction. Relationships with human beings don't bring total satisfaction. People hurt us. People lie to us. And even people that were really close, someday they die and leave us. But there's satisfaction with Jesus Christ. A job won't satisfy you. More money won't satisfy you. No one and nothing can satisfy you like Jesus can satisfy you. He'll give salvation. He'll give satisfaction. He'll also give security. Security. Jesus said it here. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Jesus says he never loses anything, right? Jesus won't lose you. I've heard people say, well, can a Christian lose their salvation? See, folks, that's the wrong way to look at it. I think a better question would be to ask, can Jesus lose a Christian? If Jesus is the one that found you in the first place... 
and He's the one that brought you in in the first place and saved you in the first place, He doesn't lose you. Jesus doesn't lose things. He gave His life. He doesn't lose things. If you're feeling lost this morning, perhaps it's because you've never given your life to Him in the first place. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've come to Him, He says He will never cast you out. There's security. There's security with the Lord. See, we feel insecure, though, when we start to live according to our own plan and our own sin and our own way, and we look away from God and we get bogged down with the things of this world and the storms of this life, just like old Peter when he stepped out of the boat, right? And he's walking on the water and he took his eyes off of Christ and he looked at the storm. He began to sink. He lost his sense of security because he took his eyes off the Savior. If we look to the Lord, we can experience that same security. See, often though, we're afraid to trust God because we equate God with God, a relationship with God with our human relationships. Somebody said they loved you and then they left you. They weren't, they weren't fair with me. They weren't straight with me or they weren't honest with me. Somebody offered to give me a job and then didn't follow through. Somebody said they'd pay me and then they didn't pay me. And we take our human relationships and we sort of superimpose God over that and then we mistrust God. We're afraid to give Him everything. He says He will never cast you out. See, after Jesus finishes all of this preaching and all of this teaching about being the bread of life, the life that satisfies, the life that is eternal, the life that is resurrecting, the life that gives security in Christ, the Bible says that many people began to turn and leave. Look at verse 60. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Folks, to admit that you don't have enough, that you're insufficient, that you're insignificant, that your ability is not enough to get you where you need to go and to meet your needs. And you need somebody else and the only one that can meet your need is Jesus Christ. And you must come through Him as one of those I am statements Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But to admit that, that's a hard thing. These people said, this is a hard saying. Because we know this Jesus. We saw Him grow up in Nazareth. Now He's saying He came down from heaven. We want more evidence. We want a sign. Feeding 5,000, that wasn't enough. Walking on the water wasn't enough. We want things our way. He's not standing up and becoming the king that we expected him to be. We're not going to follow this guy. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, this isn't just the 12, this is talking about all these people following him. They murmured at him. He said unto them, did this offend you? Verse 62, what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? There's some foreshadowing. Because what did Jesus do? Not long after this, after he died, he was buried, he rose again, and after walking on this earth for 40 days, after his resurrection, what happened? He ascended back up to heaven right where he came from. But did the crowds come back and say, well, now we'll follow him? No. 
Because even the sign of Jesus ascending up into heaven wasn't enough. But folks, it's not enough for people today either. Some of you, even this morning, there are things in your heart and your life that you're holding on to that you don't want to give to God because you want control. Or you're angry at something God has done or allowed in your life. You're discouraged about how could God do this? I don't feel very satisfied with God this morning. Folks, He loves you. Jesus gave His life for you. And He showed His power over sin and death in resurrecting from the dead. And then, if you still didn't believe it, He ascended up into heaven. And He went right back where He said He came from. He's given us all the evidence we need. But we've got to let go of our own self and trust in Him. But trusting in Him means I don't know what He's going to do. No. But you know who He is. Because His Word tells you who He is. And Jesus' works are always in line with His character. He always acts in line with who He is. See, you may say, well, I'm a pretty good guy and still do bad things, right? You may say, well, I'm a nice person and still mess up. Jesus doesn't mess up. God doesn't ever do anything contrary to his will. Jesus ascended back up into heaven. And so Jesus says in verse 63, it's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you that believeth or that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed, who that were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus looked at all these people and he says, I know you. And folks, I don't know you like Jesus knows you. But Jesus knows you. He knows what's in your heart. You're here this morning, but somebody in here may leave from here this morning and never come back again. Because you may say, I don't like what Jesus has to say. I don't want to admit that I am wrong or that I can't do it or that I'm not enough or that my plan is bad. I don't want to submit my way to God. Jesus says, I already know you. And folks, He doesn't have to physically stand here because the Bible tells us He's here with us. We know that God is everywhere. He's saying the same thing to each and every one of us this morning. He knows you. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what your desires are, your struggles are. He knows. Will you believe in Him and follow Him? Will you trust Him? Or will you go away Like all these other people, Jesus then looks to his small group of disciples, the twelve that he had called, and he says in verse 67, will ye also go away? Jesus is not very good at uh, church ministry. I mean, here he was, he had an opportunity for thousands of followers, and instead of just patting them all on the back and making them feel good about themselves... He gives them the truth. 
And when he gave them the truth, some people didn't like it. Now, Jesus is always, he, he still loves, he's still kind, he speaks the truth, and we should always do that. But folks, when the truth is presented, some people don't like the truth. Because when truth is there, truth is truth. We don't get to slide, it's not on a scale, right? That we get to slide back and forth of how we feel about it. It is truth, it is a standard. And we either are in line with it or we're not. And Jesus looks at his own disciples and says, will you also go away? But I love Peter's response. Peter responds to Jesus and he says, where shall we go? Where shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Folks, his life that he offers is eternal. And I want to encourage you with this. When God puts something in your life that you don't understand, something that's difficult, something that might make you question, remember, he is the one that has the words of eternal life. Because life may not make sense. God could allow some difficulty in your life like he did in Job, right? God could allow some awful thing to come to pass. And you say, what is going on? Remember, he has the words of eternal life. Peter turns back to him. Lord, thou hast the words of eternal life. Where shall we go? And he says, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And even one of you is a devil. Remember, Judas is standing there this whole time. Judas heard all the teaching, saw all the miracles. Judas was there for everything. The Bible tells even Judas was the one that handled the purse. He kept the money. And then he turned around and betrayed Jesus. And it says there in that last verse of John chapter 6, And he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Final thought, and we're done. There, one of us could be here this morning and be like a Judas. You, you could be here and look great and have it all together, and, and no one suspect you. I mean, the other disciples, they didn't suspect Judas at this point. Even when Judas left to go betray Jesus, the disciples didn't, the other disciples didn't think anything of it. Oh, they thought maybe he had to go out and buy bread or, or take care of some needs that need to be met. See, the reality of this, folks, is there is none of us that is exempt from needing to trust in Jesus and partake of the bread of life. You could be really close to God, in a sense, physically, and not have trusted him spiritually, right? You could be sitting right up here in church. You could be coming to the events. You could be involved in what's going on. You could be serving in the church, working in the nursery, working as an usher, singing on stage, preaching and teaching, and still not follow Jesus because Every one of us. There's none of us that can do enough good. You can't handle the money, be the treasurer, right? Be the, be the ushers, whatever. It doesn't matter. None of that's good enough to give you a personal relationship. You must take of the bread of life. Will you believe? Let's stand for prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The pianist is going to come play. And as she plays the piano this morning, 
I want you to take some time to reflect in your own heart. Maybe somebody here would say, Pastor, I know that I have never taken of that bread of life. I've gone my own way and done my own thing, and this morning I know I need to take of this bread. I want to follow Jesus. If there's somebody like that this morning, could I pray for you? I, if you'd like to raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. Nobody's looking around. Let me just pray for you this morning. God, you know the hearts. You know the struggles. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that's never taken this bread, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, work in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you may say, well, I've taken of the bread. I, I know that I'm saved. I know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sin. But folks, if we're honest, wouldn't we say there are times we feel empty spiritually or at least lacking? I, I hope that this morning we are reminded of the sufficiency and the security and the hope and the resurrecting power and the eternal life that comes through the bread of life. So this morning... As the piano plays, I'd like you to come. Let's pray together. Ask God to help us to take of this bread. Would you come?